Welcome to Fiery Discourse, your podcast or media featuring dragonesses, female dinosaurs, and other similar saurians and scarilies. <laughs> I'm your host, Led Milanon, and with me are my co-hosts, Matt Angron, Lucky Evie, Fado Kato, and Math Machine. And today, we are discussing 1999's Bartok the Magnificent. So let's get Ooh, things started. Oh, man. Bartok yep. the Magnificent. If you asked me if I had heard of that particular thing before, I would just look at you and be like, I'm sorry, Don Bluth in another film. <laughs> but, yeah. Bluth yeah. Is... Is that... oh. But yeah, Bluth really is a legend in the animation community. You gotta figure, he got started working for Walt Disney back in the mid-50s. He worked with Disney until around 1977, this final work with them being Pete's Dragon. And from there, he went on to basically, he was fed up with how the company was running things. So I basically pulled a bender and basically said, I'll set up my own animation studio. Blackjacks and hookers. Exactly. Yeah, honestly, exactly. everything after uh, Walt Disney pretty much, for the most part, went downhill. It wouldn't be until the Renaissance until things got better, but bloop. He was still alive. No, I don't know. They, they made some good stuff. Like Aristocats is great, and Robin Hood. Oh, yeah. Those are all really, really solid. So oh, yeah, I, I gotta disagree with you there. Absolutely. But really uh, gave Disney a kick in the pants to try and do better, especially after Black Cauldron was such a box office bomb. You could really see them trying to catch up to Bluth with stuff like Great Mouse Detective and. Oliver and Company, both of which are also excellent, excellent movies. Oh, yeah. And yet the ironic part is, when Disney was successful, that's when Bluth started to falter a little, because I will say Thumbelina is a decent movie, but st and you know, Pebble and the Penguin has its moments, but mm -hmm. for a lot of it, a lot of his uh, 90s material kind of stumbled a little bit. Like, I will not even try to defend uh, A Troll in Central Park. That is just oh, a movie neither. that is a complete mess and i love bluth i love you know dom de Luise, you know play stanley and that you know it, it really had potential but they had it no idea fucked. of anything to do with it and i think it made less than a million dollars at the box office or something like that this, it was like an amazing colossal flop that that nobody saw for the most part was pretty decent i never saw a troll in central park but i've heard things yeah about no it. no it's it's definitely not yeah. worth checking out believe me it's it's definitely it's his weakest film by uh by a long shot but oh, then it's it made less than a million dollars it made seventy one thousand dollars yeah Whoa. Whoa. Whoa, that is that is colossal flop <laughs> oh right yeah. there. that is like probably one of the lowest grossing <laughs> movies period of all time not just animated period Oh, dear. Yeah, then in the 90s, Bluth kind of revitalized himself a little bit with Anastasia, which it wasn't a big hit, but it went pretty much toe-to-toe -to -toe with Hercules in the box office. And, of course, as we mentioned last time, it was the time of the direct-to-video boom. Mm -hmm. And from there, it wasn't just Disney. It was every other animated studio as well 
were making direct-to-video, you know, movies. You had, of course, the Land Before Time sequels, of which there were 14. You had DreamWorks did Joseph at the King of Dreams. So pretty much every wait, studio wait, 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 was trying to throw up. their hat in the ring for this whole direct-to-video, you know, pie in a way. And so they made some of Bluetooth's movies. Like they made uh, Secret of Nim 2, which is absolutely Crap. terrible. Do not watch it. It's craptacular. Yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. I, even I know then, that one's bad. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It is one of those legendarily awful, awful movies that have nothing let's wrong com- with it. Let's completely Getting back to Bartok. Take, let's keep completely take full of like um, peril, dr- uh, like such dramatic set pieces and all that, and just turn it into a, com- a comedy for kids. Yeah, no less. Exactly, exactly. That's exact even problem. American Tale and Land Before then, Time Bart for the Thompson most part. Yes. Comes out in 1999, and 20th Century Fox does something very, very unique. They give Bluth complete creative control if he comes back and does this direct-to-video sequel for them. And All he, he has to do is make it a certain amount of a runtime, and he has to make it in a certain amount of time and for a certain amount of money. Aside from that, they said go nuts and. Boy, he did, because oh, yeah. this movie is definitely one of the yeah. more unique of the direct-to-video movies that have ever been made, and especially, especially apparent with our subject today, of course, who is none other than Lud Miller. Oh, Lud yeah. Lud Miller is voiced by Catherine O'Hara, who best known for, like, Nightmare Before Christmas. She's Sally in that. She's Mrs. McAllister in Home Alone. She's the mother in Beetlejuice, and just... A whole lot of stuff. She basically, if you've seen a movie in the past 40 years, you've definitely seen her somewhere. Oh, yeah. And, of course, reprising, uh, his, reprising his role from uh, Anastasia was Bartok himself. Uh, oh, yeah. Anka Syria, who, ironically enough, a year earlier fought another giant lizard because he was animal in Godzilla 98, which we're also going to cover on this podcast later in the future. Mm. Oh, oh, okay. Quick tangent Probably. for a second, but... Joseph King of Dreams was a directed video DVD or DVD or whatever. Yes, it yeah. was. Wow. All right. So yeah, my first yeah, impression. This is I said. Go ahead. Go ahead. Do sorry. Yeah, my first impression seeing the movie were like, wow, it was really, it was really incredible. Like seeing, like hearing Catherine O'Hara, Tim Curry, Hank Azaria, uh, Kelsey Grammer. That's another notable uh, name. He was. Yeah, yeah. And you have to figure, Hank yeah. is there. You have to figure, uh, Tim Curry is one of those actors where if he's in anything, anything, I will watch it. Like, you know, I'm turning on TV, scary movies, too, on it. It's I'm like, yeah, hey, I don't want to see it. Tim Curry's in it. I'm watching it. And then oh, they kill yeah. him off, and it's like, okay, <laughs> that's enough. You did the, you, you ruined the movie. Click. Yeah, yeah you went too far. The main reason why I got Rocky Horror Picture Show was because of Tim Curry. Yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. And even though he has such a bit role as like the uh, CGI skull who guards uh, Baba Yaga's uh, hut, he really, really makes it his all. Even in, like, oh, yeah. just like, nice. two minutes of screen time, he, he already steals the show from all the other yeah. characters. It's just see, um, Kelsey Grammer plays uh, Bartok's friend, the bear, and uh, the thing about him, um, Gozy, yeah. this came out the same year. That he played a villain in another 1999 animated movie because he was Stinky Pete in Toy Story 2. Oh, that's interesting. 
he he also did like a later role in Transformers: The Last Night, but nobody really, really talks about that. No, no. <laughs> I don't because yeah. those movies are bad. <laughs> Oh, yeah, For the no, most part, is... I will defend Bumblebee, and I will gladly defend Dark of the Moon and the first movie to an extent. Also, Age of Extinction, but eh. like otherwise, yeah, two. it's bad. It's I only bad. like the first two. I never really saw Dark of the Moon onward. Yeah, I, I really like the first one, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I never saw The Last Night. Love the toys, though. They're pretty unique, but otherwise, yeah, yeah the Bay yeah, first no, no, really needed to stop. Wedgy designs on them. Ugh, at least Bumblebee and uh, the new Transformers movie are going to be better. Exactly, thankfully. yeah. Anyway, All right, back to Lud Miller. Back to Bart, well, Bart. I was trying not to go on too many tangents this time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, really need to remain on focus here. Back to yeah. Lud Miller. Yeah. Well, first with Lud Miller, first the movie, then Lud Miller. Basically, yeah, the interesting the movie. thing, too, is this is one of the first uh, voice roles for Jennifer Tilly, who would later become a rather prominent voice actress. Of course, she played Bonnie in Family Guy and Grace in Home on the Range. But before this, she did one other voice acting role, Tiffany in Bride of Chucky. And that's what started her, I think, down the voice acting path. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Jennifer Tilly is one of those people who I want to hear more of. She's basically kind of like Clancy Brown and like... Uh, a few other voice actors that I can think of. They're, they have that voice. They just want to listen. Got that kind of voice that is very, very Quite notable. Notable. Oh and yeah. The only thing about Bartok too is that it's a sequel to Anastasia, but it's not really a sequel or a prequel because it takes it's a- place centuries before the events of Anastasia. So. It really is just a standalone movie. You could watch mm-hmm. it, and you know you don't even have to watch Anastasia to understand it. Oh, you don't. Yeah, it's, it's definitely very interesting up the... for a director video movie. It's definitely up there. Always wanted to tie it into the uh, previous ones. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's definitely up there in like the top five Don Bluth movies. Up there with Secret of Nim, Land Before Time. Uh, technically, uh... American Tale. Oh. An American Tale, yeah, yeah that's another and that one. Had and, uh, video sequels. and also, to an extent, Anastasia. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I will yeah. defend. Uh, I will always defend. Five will goes west. By the way, me too. I'll also defend Titan Eight. It's my unofficial number six, but like that one. Yeah, but yeah. Anywho, yeah, I also Continue. really enjoyed uh, getting uh, back to uh, the movie. Yes, yes, yeah. I really also enjoyed like just the overall animation, like with the budget they were given. Oh, no, they it's beautiful. really, it's beautiful. Oh yeah, it's really beautiful. Video. You can tell it's like, direct the CG video, but is, it's good. Yeah, it really takes advantage of everything that's got for the most part. Like even the beginning with like the stills and whatnot really convey what you're really getting into. I also really enjoy like how they utilize the CG. Not too much, not too little, but they really make it work. It's like Bat. It's like Batman: The Mask of the Phantasm. They don't fully go CG like most other stuff, but the CG they do have make it really add to the atmosphere. You know? Absolutely, absolutely. No, exactly, exactly. I mean, the backgrounds alone are just mind blowing. Like you compare this to like some of Disney's directed video sequels. Like Hunchback at Notre Dame, too, or Bell's Magical World. And this just leaps and bounds above all of them. And that's going to tie into it's our no, discussion later on. Directed yeah. video. Granted, it's no Bambi, movie. too, but it's 
still it still manages to hold its own in a very unique way. Uh, well, it looks direct nice. video. It really, really does look fantastic. Those are direct to video Disney movies were just awful. Not all of them. I would say Not most. All of them. I would say most. Right, most. Right. Okay, I, I didn't hear the most. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, no. It like, also helps that uh, oh, math, the math movie, speaking. It also helps that this movie uh, was by Bluth himself, so it actually Absolutely. has the Bluth level of detail and character design, which and none of the other sequels to his stuff have. So that really helps sell it. Yeah. Really, any of the any of the direct video sequels in general. I mean. I don't think a single one of, like, Disney... I mean, granted, for the older ones, they couldn't do it, but I don't think for any of the newer ones with Disney, I don't think any single one of the original directors or creators came back for the directed video sequels. Those were all done overseas in, like, overseas studios in Japan or in France or in Australia. But this had the actual animators and director of the first one all coming back for the sequel. Yeah, even Goldman got in on it. Yeah, really. A lot of... Like, with the... With the Disney films, you can you can tell they reek of direct-to-video animation. Most part, yeah. No, 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 not all of them. I mean, there are exceptions, but most of them exactly reek of direct-to-video. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And yet, Mark this Tyler. was so well received by 20th Century Fox, they wanted to theatrically release this movie, but Bluth convinced them not to because he felt that it was. It wasn't theatrical quality enough. That was the excuse he gave. I think the real reason was because 1999 was a year stuffed with animated features. You had, to name a few, you had Toy Story 2. You had Pokemon the first movie. You had Iron Giant. You You also had Heavy Metal 2000. Like, holy crap, there were a lot of animated (laughs) <laughs> out of movies I mean, that, I, <laughs> that I adore released in 1999, yeah. I swear. Yeah, yeah, there were a lot of good movies. Yeah, 99 then. was a great year for movies. So I think Bluth saw all the other releases coming out, and he knew that uh, Bartok probably would have gotten crushed at the box office. Yeah, oh, yeah. So he just dodged the and bullet maybe there. critically, so he made the right call there. He did. He mm-hmm. dodged a bullet. And, uh, yeah, underrated. Yep. Underrated movie. Yeah, definitely. I believe part of it was also because the way that they were animating it was uh, they would have to effectively reanimate some stuff to fit the widescreen of theaters. Yeah. So they thought that that wouldn't uh, be cost effective. So it straight to yeah, DVD would be better. Right, yeah, and make it a lot more cost-effective, too. Yeah. Yeah. It was in the 4 by 3 aspect ratio. They didn't have the money yeah. to change it to 16 by 9 so they just left it. Yeah, it's probably for the yeah, best. But it still it looks was. fantastic, despite that little thing. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they uh, decided to release Bartok the Magnificent in theaters nowadays, though. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, yeah, I'm surprised no one started doing that. It's like a double feature with Anastasia. It really could is something that could work out, you know. Yeah, especially for places like Alamo, AMC, oh, a like bunch that. of theaters yeah, yeah. really could would be benefit from this. John Bluth event, actually. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, oh, even that yeah. too. That could be like a you know great way <laughs> to have it in like a marathon of all his films. But yeah, it's since this is a direct video movie. It definitely uh, didn't get a lot of probably notification when it first came out. 
But now I think it's definitely gone down, especially with the advent of the internet and, of course, our topic today, Ludmilla. It's definitely become a cult classic, I feel. Oh, yeah. Uh, speaking of... Yep, let's talk about the big girl herself. So oh, yeah. we're going to be talking about a lot, a lot of dragonesses on this podcast. But Ludmilla, so far, as of this recording, there might be more in the future... But Ludmilla, right now, as of this recording, is the only dragoness to have an entire musical number dedicated to her transformation. And let me just say right now, Catherine O'Hara has a voice on her. Oh, my God. She is amazing. Oh, absolutely. Was, yeah, that musical number was unique. It, it very much brought out the character of Ludmilla overall and pretty much, arguably, is one of, if not the first song to ever focus on her transformation subconsciously Holy at that that's probably one of the reasons why it's so popular on the internet because there was and there still is absolutely nothing like it and yeah. it's almost you know 25 plus years later and we still have not gotten not have gotten anything even remotely similar to this sequence oh you coward no, no, definitely, definitely. Someone, someone's got to step up to the plate. Yeah, someone's got to step to the plate and definitely put their foot yeah. down and say, no, we're going to do this. We're going to do it just like this. Oh, heck yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but of course, the uh, real Ludmilla, the song itself is, you know, an operatic number, you know, about Ludmilla believing her true self is coming out. And of course, the true self is a dragon is. But one thing, and this is the reason you could tell that the the animators and Bluth and all of them had complete carte blanche and what to do, because this song is probably one of the, shall we say, dirtiest things in a kid's film ever. I mean, at one point, her breasts rip out of her dress, oh, and this okay. is in a children's film. And the fact that yep. the animators got away with that <laughs> is just incredible, because again, 20th Century Fox... We're not watching them at all. They just said, as long as you get it out on time, you do whatever. And they did. And you could definitely yeah. tell with this sequence. Got past a lot of it's fine. I'm sure they're probably the holy crap. What did they do? <laughs> holy fuck. <laughs> that is probably nothing. That's <laughs> ah, probably nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I told him John Tron moment there years before John Tron became yeah. a thing. <laughs> oh, that's good. I love. Yeah. And the dragoness herself. Arguably, there have been, again, a lot of dragoness. We got Nelly from Quack Pack. We got Nessie from uh, the Loch Ness story and whatnot. We got Maleficent. And we've also got a few others, but there are very few dragonesses like Ludmilla's form that ultimately both acknowledge that after that both it's honestly like a unique case, if you get what I mean. It's like, at first, she's like completely oblivious uh, to her whole thing. Like, she has that whole song, but it's like more subconscious. Like, she's completely blissfully unaware for the most part. And then when she goes into the throne room. Yeah, and then she comes to the throne room and it just dawns on her, like, holy crap, I'm a beast. And then I'm yeah, going then, on the shit. Sexy beast. Yeah. yeah. And then sadly, that's kind of a weak spot in the movie that she becomes more like a feral beast when she's attacking the city. Because hmm. it would have such a missed opportunity to still have her as herself, yeah. but have her just go mad with, you know, her sight of what her true self is. 
and then to have her actually speak and have Ludmilla be Ludmilla rather than just be a mindless, you know, dragon beast rampaging the city. I mean, Although granted, she still technically has some level of intelligence. Like, at no, the end, we can hear does, her screaming. But, but you can tell she's definitely more feral. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. But still good either way. Yeah, that ending always screamed to me that that was either like they were running out of time or they were running out of budget, so they just had to get that part done quick as they could. I oh, think no, it was more like they were running out of time. Yeah. Like it still has, it still had like budget, but like, yeah, I, I think it was more of a time thing than anything. Like to be fair, like what we got from her was very incredible and very powerful, and definitely uh, wrapped up in a more or less satisfying conclusion until Ludmilla's Kingdom. Be here to give it a read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I I feel it. I feel it ended despite that. Yes, it's a weak point in the movie, but it's not too weak that it ultimately detracts from everything for the most part. Anyone else feel that? No, no, I definitely got to agree with you there. It's also interesting, and I don't know if this was subconscious or if this was intentional, how her scale color changes from, like, the shade of purple that most people know her as during the throne room scene to where she's attacking the city. She looks almost red. I don't know if that's, like, a choice of coloring or if it was intentional to show her change in personality, but if it was the latter, then it's something that is really, really well done. Again, especially for a direct-to-video yeah. movie. I feel it was more like atmospherical, like the town's on fire. It's like sunset and everything. You get what I mean? Oh no, no, that's definitely, definitely a valid reading of it. Oh yeah, yeah. Bluth is very big on lighting and coloring, representing the lighting. So I think that that's more what it was. But it could be, uh, like Most you were saying, that it was a personality thing. Oh I, I yeah, was... absolutely. Ooh. Awesome. Of course, Feral Ludmilla was voiced by none other than Frank Wilker, the voice <clears> actor <throat> who's best known for playing Fred and Scooby-Doo, and also every single animal voice since, I believe, the original Scooby-Doo. He's done, like, the Martians and Mars Attacks. He did uh, Dragon and Shrek, another character we're going to be talking about. He's done Abu and Aladdin. His, his, his credit list is just so numerous that it will be almost impossible to state you know, how much this man has done. And of course he did the dragon roars for Ludmilla in her old dragon form, let's say. He also did, uh, he also uh, did did a few roles in uh, Dink the Little Dinosaur. And he also, uh, and, and honestly, on that note, like, it does, I, I think people like Tom Kenny and Dee Bradley Baker will definitely uh, try and live up to that. I don't know Absolutely. how close they are, but like, yeah, I definitely, I think Frank Welker wins. He's one of a kind. Oh yeah, he's definitely one of a kind. He is like absolutely man. No one will ever. I don't think anyone would come close to that. Again, save for Dean Bradley Baker. Yeah, true, right, true, right, exactly, exactly. Oh man. Yeah, uh, it's, it's really just a classic sequence. But yeah, okay. There were some things. Sorry, sorry go ahead. Yeah, okay. A thing that I honestly didn't like about Ludmilla, I mean, other than the fact she's a villain, she's a ha she's a likably hateable villain, so yeah. no nothing on that. Definitely, definitely. I do feel though that the two little whiskers on her uh on her thing were a little 
little bit of a downgrade. Nothing too bad. Yeah, nothing I can really. That. Too I can see that. It's a little over designed that way. Yeah, but I mean, that's kind of the point. I mean, that's what she represents for the most part, yeah, what she is on the inside. Yeah. But like, yeah, those whiskers are like, okay. So anyways, I think uh, the same way with the uh, bumps all over her, to be honest. Part of that just really, I mean, I get the point of it, but part of it also looks a little unappealing to the uh, character. Yes. Didn't. I mean, maybe, again, that's the point, that she's supposed to look unappealing, and we're just guys who, you know, enjoy that <laughs> sort of thing. But it really is just something that I feel like probably could have removed, and it would have improved oh, the character design. Only weird. Speaking of the character yeah, design, weird, but it didn't it didn't uh, change my judgment on her. Oh, no, yeah, neither. It doesn't really change my judgment either. It's just something I don't agree with at all. It's fantastic. But she also shares, like, you know, the same pear shape that Bluth does with all of his dragons. Ooh. I mean, he did it with Elliot in Pete's Dragon, he did it with Singe in Dragon's Lair. And of course, Ludmilla also shares that same shape that he has for like his reptilian characters. I don't know if it's just like intentional or not, or if it's just the way he draws them, but it definitely also helps with the appearance. The thing could also be said for Ducky, though she's less reptilian and more avian. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. right. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, I, I definitely notice it too. I've always viewed that? that if you put uh, Singe and you put Lamilla side by side, you can absolutely see, okay, yeah, this one character came from the other. Yeah. Mm. Same thing with Elliot, too. Definitely with, like, the stripes and with the tail <laughs> shape, you definitely, definitely can see the, uh, oh, the yeah. same sort of influence. Yeah, that was certainly a surprise to learn that Elliot was drawn by Don. Yeah. Like, for yeah, sure. You can definitely see it when, when you go back and rewatch it. <laughs> it definitely and the thing is with Pete's Dragon is it's an okay movie don't get me wrong it's it's well done for definitely 77 but the problem was at that time Disney was playing catch up with the rest of the film industry because you gotta figure the 70s was the was the decades of the whole the auteurs like Scorsese like Coppola and all that and Disney didn't really have a niche in that time and of course when Star Wars came out that just blew their whole family yeah. section wide oh, open that, it was yeah. gone like star wars came out they they star yeah. trek yeah like yeah all of them okay, yeah. They all of these franchises granted i still love i still love peace dragon it's a nostalgic pleasure for a reason oh, no, no, it's, especially it's a good with movie. that it's a well-made movie except and the live action will never no for the most part, get back no. to that we don't talk no, about bruno not, not even it has Bryce Dallas Howard in it. It's still not worth watching. So, yeah. But the interesting thing, too, about Blood Millet, just getting back to that for a second, is with the potion given to her by Baba Yaga. Now, the thing is, it's supposed to release your inner form and all that. What would yes. have happened to Bartok if he drank it? Where'd you come hero? Yeah, that's an interesting thought. That's like, an interesting thought. Uh, they never really, you know. Probably did, would have become a human. It's an interesting, like, human, what if? Actually, maybe. Probably uh, like, you know, either that, yeah. or it would have been akin to something like a uh, an, an a performance booster, yeah. like improving his right, strength, right. speed, smarts, everything, all of that. But honestly, right. I kind of like that they didn't really uh, didn't really uh, sh uh, show or tell what happened with. Oh, of course, at least mystery, yeah. which is always good, and it fits with Baba Yaga's character. I because I actually before this movie was familiar with Baba Yaga. 
I had a Polish babysitter. You know, she was like a, she's kind of like the grandmother I never had, basically. And she would read me, you know, stories, you know, when, she, when I'd go to bed, she'd read stories. And they were usually all, you know, the Baba Yaga stories. Her with, you know, the chicken, with the chicken legs in the hut and all sorts of things like that. So I was well aware of her uh, myths before this movie came out. So it definitely really captured her well in a lot of ways. Uh, I there is a bit of a a possibility that even though Baba Yaga did say that it was a potion that would make you ten times outside what you are inside, if you'll notice during her uh during Ludmilla's song, uh, a rat drinks a little bit of the potion that was thrown on the ground, and that rat looks kind of draconic. Also becomes like a dragon-like yeah. beast. Yeah. Yeah. Like, imagine if Bartok became sort of like a bat dragon, like something akin to say, like Noivern. You can believe that it. Actually, been a yeah, yeah, that would have been interesting. That would have been an interesting idea. Oh yeah, like have Bartok become like a sort of wyvern, like big, like still overall him, like uh, outsmarting Ludmilla with like speed and like uh performance skills like charisma all that He'd still stuff be like monstrous i see where you're getting at here oh yeah oh man so like i say this was blute's second to last movie believe it or not his final movie would come out a year later titan ae which we recently saw and i thought it was it was just okay it was like a five maybe if i'm feeling charitable six out of ten but I feel like, whereas this definitely had Bluth being given all the time and all the resources he wanted and all that, Titan AE was the opposite, in that they were micromanaging the hell out of that project, and you could tell yeah. with how yeah. disjointed it is. Yeah. It's a shame, I mean, because again, it has great designs, it has really good animation, it has a... Sith is easily the best character from the film. Story. Oh no! Yeah, definitely. Sith is a fantastic, fantastic character. I even made a gift really of her. Just... Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but like I say, it really just—I don't know. It's really just like a five, six out of ten for me, basically. I don't know. How, what, what do you guys think? I personally am a, was a little more generous. I thought the story worked for the most part. Yeah, I can tell there was a little bit of micromanaging, but like. I honestly did. I honestly was willing to go in with a more open mind compared compared to most, and I wasn't disappointed with what we saw. Yes, it's yes again. It's not really in the top five of uh, Don Bluth films. I will personally put it up there in my top five because it's a personal guilty pleasure of mine. I love it. I love Stith. I love a lot of the things, and I felt like it didn't really deserve a lot of the hate. Yes. A lot of the music could have been better. I did like one, two, oh, yeah, or three. The music is of its kind. Yeah, I I love yeah, three of the songs on there, but way. like, yeah, but like, yeah, I really, uh, I really uh, liked this movie. I don't love it. I don't think it's absolute dog shit. Like, say, a troll in Central Park, but I did like it. Hey. I enjoyed it, and I, I'm honestly uh, not against saying that. It's a good movie and at least worth I a good watch. I never watched it, unfortunately. Never definitely, heard of definitely. it either until like a couple years ago. Today. Oh. <laughs> like, 
Well, it's definitely worth mm. checking out if you haven't, just to see the uh, final, so far, what is the final film of Don Bluth. So it's definitely worth checking out on they just They did that work narrative. on a movie. I'm kind they of did... hoping that he has one project. Oh, you're fine. They sorry, did sorry. work on a film adaptation of a Dragon's Lair at one point. Yeah, I heard about that. I was just about to mention that, that they talked about it in like 2016 and nothing has come of it. It has been seven years, granted, maybe stuff like COVID or something like that. I think it was canceled, though. But still, it really is strange that it just, you know, it it really could have worked and they just didn't go through with it. And I kind of hope, I mean, it's been, what, 23 years since his last film and the guy most likely is retired and, you know, God bless him. He's been a blessing to the animation community and film as a whole. Yeah. But I I mean, he made a few other movies. Yeah, he made like a few other appearances uh, in modern day, like a screening. He like was on an interview talking about Angela Christie or uh, Angela Lansbury. Sorry, that's who it was. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, rest her soul. And uh, I also saw him on like uh, uh, two episodes of the Nostalgia Critic, oh, yeah. Critic where the uh, first one was like uh, him yeah, and Dragon Slayer, right, right. and the second one was Dragon Slayer itself. Where the nostalgia credit was playing it, and honestly, like, oh man, Don Bluth's uh, dis uh, disappointment face was hilarious. He's just so charming. Um, He really, really is such a charming, nice guy. He really seems like he's a charming person. But I really hope that he. Oh, definitely, definitely. He's very, you know, he seems very warm and friendly and open. And it, it really is a shame that the animation industry just seemed to pass him by. It's like. Kind of what happened with like Billy Wilder in a way, or those kind of directors. What happened there, they still had a lot of greatness left in them, but Hollywood just walked past them like they do with a lot of things. Yeah, like they could, they could have very well looked at them and said, all right, go ahead. But like, wow, yeah. No animation studio out there even looked at Bluth and said, all right, we'll give you a shot. No, no one. And that to me is really just such a shame. But yeah, that's a real shame. Have his works. <clears throat> yeah. Yep. Like. So anyway, um, it's time now, I think, for the uh, question of the episode, which is, is Bartok the best direct-to-video animated sequel? Now, this isn't just direct-to-video uh, animated sequels of, like, Disney or, you know, Bluth or anything of all time, period. And this is just direct-to-video animated sequels, not ones, like, based on TV shows or whatnot. That is an interesting question. Definitely, definitely. Sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, I was like, that's an interesting question. I mean, I can think of a few others that would probably be a lot, for the most part, a little better than Bartok the Magnificent in terms of, like, story structure and whatnot. But honestly, thinking about it, I mean, I would probably have to say, yeah. I mean, it's unique. It has Blue's charm. Blue's had full control over this. Can you really say that about a lot of other direct-to-DVD specials, like, say, Batman Batman Max of the Phantasm? I mean, you could, probably. But, like, I mean, it's definitely a tie, if not... I mean, Batman uh, Mask of the Phantasm and Bartok the Mad Deficit are definitely a tie, if nothing else. Like, both are really amazing and just... To just ooze the energy of no, no, what, definitely, the, definitely. If what we, the creator if we went count, for. Count like the DC animated movies in there. It definitely is would be in the top ten, but discounting those, it definitely is at least top three. Just for the fact they got Bluth involved in it, 
They let him do whatever he wants, so he managed to actually put a coherent story and beautiful, really almost theatrical quality animation and something that was just, you know, sold in stores. I mean, where I live, uh, they had like the newspaper kiosks. Every single kiosk, every single one had copies of like Bartok the Magnificent. They had like 10, 15 copies each. And over the summer, like the colors would start to fade from like the DVD covers. And and this is for years. They they would just have them there. But yet, Wait. despite all that, it really, really just it is such an amazing movie. I think in in almost every conceivable aspect, it it, it definitely is probably. I would have to say, if not the best, definitely the most underrated. Oh yeah, what yeah. would you consider the best though? For me, that would be really difficult because I think. I love Bartok. Bartok, like like you say, Mask of the Phantasm, Bartok, and it's a tie between those two and Aladdin and the King of Thieves. That, even though the animation quality is a little lesser, they got Robin Williams back as the genie, they had really good writing, you had Jerry Orbach as the villain, you have John Rice Davies as Aladdin's father, and it just, it all comes together to where it really, really works out well. I feel like, for me personally, that is the best direct-to-video Disney sequel. It's the only one that I think can actually stand, um, not exactly toe-to-toe, but at least stand next to its original with um, with a lot of dignity. Let's do it that way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I would personally put Bambi 2 in the top, my personal top three, but, like... I will admit that Aladdin King of Thieves definitely has a lot of charm. I remember seeing it a lot as a kid, but I might need to go back and rewatch that because it's oh, no, been a while. If you haven't seen it, I definitely recommend you rewatch it. It is, it has held up in I immensely. That, oh yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the guy who. Uh, there's nothing wrong with Homer's voice actor voicing uh, the genie. Which honestly, if you've seen it's working yes, kind of hard and like uh, all of the other reindeer, and I also. Did. Yes. Yeah, no, he does a great job. He does a great job. But the fact they got Robin Williams back alone means it's definitely, definitely worth watching at least once. Man, rest in peace, Robin Williams. And also, it's really unfortunate what happened to Tim Curry. One of the few celebrity deaths that really, really hit home for me was his. Yeah. Yeah. Also, it's really sad what happened to Tim Curry. I mean, Tim Curry himself, like, he's currently, he had a stroke, so he's not going to be doing much for the time being, but like, Man, he did a lot. No, no. You know? he, again, he's one of those actors who is good in anything. Anything oh, yeah. he's in is worth watching. Like even the worst movies. I oh yeah. Like the pipe for organ him. from the from <laughs> yeah. that one. Uh, Beauty and the Beast. Oh, Beauty and the Beast. The yeah, Beauty and the Beast Christmas special. special. Yep. Yeah. 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 I remember, I remember that. that. Uh, what about you, Lucky? His back must have been sore from carrying that Dear movie. God, I, oh, yeah. I uh, what about you? That, that his character being horrifying to me as a kid. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely yeah, with the CGI, scary. which, again, with, uh, getting back to Bartok, is definitely something that they did pretty good was the CGI. I think because the skull is meant to look more inhuman, it actually really, really fits... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It yep. very much fits. Stylized CGI in the early days worked if they actually oh, kept yeah. it stylized. Yeah. What about you, Lucky Evie? What, do you think Bartok is uh, top is top tier uh, 
DVD sequel material? I never watched it. I don't watch too many movies. Oh, that's a shame. You should really give it a shot. It's it's really entertaining. Personally, yeah, no, no, it's definitely a fun time, yeah. My first thing means I can't really like dedicate myself to watching movies. Ooh, I definitely. Last movie I saw, last movie I saw was in 2016, and that was Detective Pikachu. Mm, yeah, that was. That's, that's a really fun movie. No, that's that's definitely a good one. Definitely going on. Maybe of we'll talk oh, yeah. about it sometime, but. So, what do you think uh, about uh, Bar Talk as a whole? Because now it is time for the uh, patent pending Dragonist scale for Ludmilla herself. Which, I'll be honest, you know, uh, nope, uh, maybe a little bias here because she's the reason we basically got into Dragonists in the first place and started this whole thing. Okay. I'm sorry. I cannot, in good conscience, give her anything, anything lower than a perfect 10. Yeah, I will give her a nine out of ten. Like it's it's she's very unique. She's very stylized as a villain. She works. Uh, there's like one or two few things that ultimately uh, stop me from uh, ranking her at a perfect ten. Like I uh, like Bartok the Magnificent is very much top tier thing. Not one hundred percent perfect, but she but it very much is uh but it very much is more than deserving of a nine out of ten i i really like Lidmilla as a character and also slight dragonist tension but the thing that got me into dragonesses was oh dragon my tales. <laughs> i just wanted was to set the record really straight oh, no. oh god yeah i i don't know if that's gonna be on the list or not i will definitely have to yeah we'll need to put it on the list. Yeah. Or not. we'll we'll think about it dinosaur. and dinosaur i never train. watched dinosaur train. but yeah. uh yeah for me I was yeah, way exactly. too old when that came out. It, it's surprisingly smart for its own good. There are a few kitty moments, but honestly, it's surprisingly clever for its own good. It's up there with Dragon Tales, Arthur, and Bluey as like that one of those kids shows that kids should be watching because it really gets across yeah, yeah. really good yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially about dinosaurs. Uh, oh, what about uh, you, Fado? What's your ranking? Actually. Cool. Awesome. Same here. <laughs> I'm actually going to give it probably the Matt? lowest rating of us. With I'm sorry. Yeah. Because uh, uh, while I think the transformation sequence itself was great, and uh, Catherine O'Hara just sells every bit of the character. Oh yeah. She the design is just female singe. Which is a bit of a problem as far as the creativity of it is concerned. It's not a bad design, but I absolutely see Singe when I see that design. So that detracts from it a little bit from an originality I, perspective. I think I they're kind of see it, I guess. I kind of see it too, but, but she's, she's enough unique enough. Yeah, she's unique enough that she uh, that she doesn't really get the Singe treatment that much. Like she is. Not she is far yeah, exactly. actually like from Singe. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Also, she's a Drake. She's not oh, full yeah. on dragon. She's an she actual freaking wings. Drake. Yeah, like she yeah. doesn't have the wings. Like there are a lot of differences that differentiate her from Singe. But I do get what you mean in terms of design. Yeah, especially with again the body shape. That definitely yeah. is the biggest I'm tell. Just, uh, I yeah. just 
love the uh, acting and the animation for Lud Miller herself, to be honest. Over the top. Oh, yeah. The animation oh, was No, no, definitely, spot. definitely. All I right. mean, you can tell right away that it just, it is so well done and so well put and together. And then the over the top yeah. acting for just when she's a human. <laughs> Oh, definitely, definitely, and of course her Pull performance. You know, oh, like, yeah, she really <laughs> went exactly, exactly. It just—it's so over the top. But and her expressions to too, top, and yet she sells it. Doesn't she do. sells it? <laughs> exactly. Oh man! So, um, lucky. Uh, what would you rank, Lud Miller? I'm not sure about no, but she is nice. Okay. Uh, if you were to, if you had to on give a scale like a number one, rating, yeah, on a scale from one to ten, like what would you rank? Five, six. Oh, and they said math was the lowest score. Why do you say that? I mean, other than not seeing the movies. Why is six? I mean, I'm. Uh, yeah. It's okay, man. Take your time. That's all right. That's all right. You know, it's a fine score. It's a fine score. So. Overall, that is the uh, score for Ludmilla on the official patent-pending Dragonist scale. And next time on the uh, Fiery Discourse, we're going to be talking about the 2007 Disney live-action movie, the first live-action movie of the podcast, Oh boy! Oh, boy. Yeah, that's going to be a fun one. That is 100% going to be a fun one. I've actually seen that one. If I keep doing this, I can get rid of my stage. Oh, definitely, definitely. Lots to talk about that one, too. So, all right. Until then, uh, thank you so much for listening to the second episode of the Fiery Discourse podcast. Our Um, shortest episode so far, actually. uh, Email us if you want to talk about. If you want to talk about, you know, um, Ludmilla or and just share thoughts, please um, email us at fieryDiscourse at Outlook.com or go to our Twitter page at Twitter.com slash FieryDiscourse. And until next week, I'm Ludmilla on and take care. Thank you guys so much yeah. for listening. Under like 45 that minutes. Record. That's a new record. Peace out, everyone. Ooh, wow. Thank you so much for listening. Until then, see you around. Yep. Video.